Well, good morning to each one of you. It's good to have John Ware with us. John is a friend of mine from years and years back. And so, John, it's good to have you here today. Appreciate you visiting with us. Uh, good to have Janie. I mean, well, good to have Janie here, but good to have Virgie back and her family. She went all the way to Alaska and visiting with her mom. So, you know, Virgie, we've been praying for you. And lo and behold, there's Janet and Tony Ayers. They went all the way to Georgia. And so we're just glad to have uh, our folks back. And we've been praying for you, and God answers prayer. Diana. Say again. You know, I would, thank you for reminding me. I need more verses. I ran out of verses. So give me... I'm going to have a fishbowl or something in the back. And don't give me, if you say, well, I gave you a verse, well, you may have. But it's somewhere between you giving it to me and me selecting it, somebody took it. So, yeah, uh, so we need to get back to you guys uh, turning in your verses because we'd like to have your favorite verse. And you say, well, I already given you my favorite. Well, Give me your second favorite, and we'll just keep that going. But I am going to bring a fishbowl or something here so that you can put your verses directly in that. So this morning, turn with me to 2 Timothy. This is the next to the last book that we are going to be covering in our series of Christ of the Book. In the volume of the book, it's written of me. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have been locating Christ in every book of the Bible. We've hit 64 books so far. So we have two more to go. Uh, this, this morning we're going to look at 2 Timothy. And then next week we're going to look at the book of Revelation. Now I personally believe that 2 Timothy is the last book that was written uh, I base that on Colossians 1.25. Colossians 1.25, Paul tells us that it was given to him to bring to completion the Word of God. Colossians chapter 2, uh, chapter 2.25, or chapter 1, verse 25, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the Word of God, to bring to completion the Word of God. And I think that's exactly what the Apostle Paul was doing in this letter to Pastor Timothy there in Ephesus. I believe that the book of Revelation was written much earlier, uh, certainly not in 90 A.D., as like some folks try to uh, claim it was, but I think that uh, Revelation was written earlier. But since Revelation deals with last things uh, certainly last days that are going to be coming upon the earth during the tribulation. We're going to look at that one last. Look at it next week. Uh, it's probably going to take us two weeks to get through the book of Revelation. But we're going to be looking at things in connection with the book of Revelation, like transhumanism. We're going to be looking at artificial intelligence, how that's going to be playing a role in the last days and the tribulation period, Agenda 21, and the global strategy to enslave each and every one of uh, 
those folks that are going to be on earth during that time, we're going to be gone, folks. The rapture will have taken place, but there are designs to enslave the world or the one world dictator, one world ruler, um, and that's coming with global currency. All the saber rattling you're hearing concerning global currency, uh, that's coming. And one of the things we're going to look at next week uh, with uh, AI or artificial intelligence is the new morality or the, the, the modern ethical positioning that it is supposedly going to come up with. They even go so far that they want to use artificial intelligence to create a new, and I put this in quotes, Bible. One that is more welcoming, more that's more inclusive, one that is uh, more understanding and more fitting to the evolutionary, these, their words, not mine, uh, the new evolutionary uh, movement of human beings. And so, so much garbage that's coming down and how it fits in the book of Revelation. You're going to want to be here uh, as we talk about all that, especially this, the new Bible that they are wanting AI to, they, they're wanting it to be written with via artificial intelligence, not with human involvement, because we bring our biases into it. That's what, again, their words, not ours. But with artificial intelligence that's just been programmed to do what is right by mankind without those biases, well, just think of what a wonderful uh, Bible is going to be, uh, be presented. Uh, again, their thoughts, not mine. We're going to be looking at that because it is uh, it's quite concerning. Uh, the whole woke agenda will be included, uh, so we're more, more tolerance, uh, more understanding, uh, all of that, it, more inclusion, all of that is what they're aiming for. And boy, as you get into the book of Revelation, you see where that power, that authority, that evil uh, gets its direction. So we're going to be looking at that as we get into the book of Revelation. Uh, but all of the books from, from uh, all of the Pauline epistles, all the New Testament books uh, were written before 70 A.D. and the destruction of the temple uh, in Jerusalem uh, by General Titus. But, but in 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul is back in prison. He is back in prison. He was out for about two years. Some people say he went all the way to Spain. We have really no way of verifying that. But somewhere around 66 A.D., 67 A.D., he was re-arrested. The reason for that is because in 64 A.D., Rome burned pretty much to the ground. It burned to the ground thanks to Nero, who was the emperor. He did it. He's the one that set Rome ablaze. He was crazy, and guess who he blamed it on? And the enemies of Paul, guess who they wanted to blame it on? Uh, blame it on Christians. So Christianity became illegal. The persecution was bad before, but after Rome burned and Christians were blamed for burning Rome down, which they didn't do it, by the way. 
but they were blamed for it. Uh, the intensity was ratcheted up. And so when Paul comes back, he, like I said, he was released. In 1 Timothy, he's out. In Titus, he's writing to Titus, he's out. 2 Timothy, uh, he is back in prison, and he was arrested. This time, he is facing execution. Facing ac- execution. Uh, in uh, 2 Timothy 2.9, Paul talks about that that he was imprisoned as as an evil doer. He was an evil doer. He says it's because he and his evil doing had to do with Christianity, his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Verse 8 of 2 Timothy 2. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. When, when, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the Word of God is not bound. Well, how absolutely true that is. It was true then. Folks, I got news for you. It is true now. And things are getting just as crazy now as they were back, back then. So Paul is writing to Timothy. Uh, it's the last place. It's the last place where you would expect a letter of encouragement to be generated. There in a Roman prisoner from someone waiting for execution. Nevertheless, here it comes. Paul is writing to Timothy through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in order to encourage this young pastor because he's getting ready to be offered up. He understands his time is almost up. His ministry is, is coming to an end. Then you're going to have Titus and Timothy and, and these others that are going to be responsible for keeping the gospel of the grace of God going forward. They're gonna, they were called upon to guard that precious deposit, to preach the truth concerning the revelation of the mystery. And so Paul is encouraging Timothy. One of the things he tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, as he encourages him, for God has not given us the spirit of fear. Boy, that's easy to say, but when you stop and think of all the stuff that was going on, he wanted to make sure Timothy understood that. God's not given us the spirit of fear. Here he is sitting in prison, getting ready to be martyred, executed, And he's telling Timothy, God's not given us the spirit of fear. So we can assume he was sitting in that prison waiting for what was coming, trusting God, believing God with no fear. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Uh, The power. I think comes from the Word of God. The Word of God is powerful. It's what Acts tells us. The Word of God is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. See, God has given us this, not the spirit of fear. He's given us power. Where does that power come from? It comes from His Word. It comes from utilizing His Word. It comes from knowing His Word. It comes from standing on His Word. That's, what he, that's how He's encouraging Timothy. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love. Now, you just need to know, and I'm I'm telling you something that you already know. 
you've already figured this out. The world's idea of love today is not our idea of what love is. The world's idea of love is tell them something that's going to make them feel better. Our, our idea of love is telling them the truth. It may not make them comfortable. It may not be what they believe. It may not be what they think. It absolutely may not be what they want to hear. But God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's given us power and love, which means we speak the truth to those who need to hear it. And we don't back down. We don't change the truth to make it more comfortable. Not if we love somebody. Not if we're genuinely caring, care about that individual. We speak the truth. We do it in love. But not just has God given us power and love. I'd like this next part. He's giving us a sound mind. Boy, is that lacking today or what? And see, in a sound mind, having a sound mind comes, starts with, begins with knowing right from wrong. Knowing what is truly right, knowing what is truly wrong, and the only source of being able to identify that is from God's, God's Word. You get away from God's Word, you're not going to have a basis for determining, declaring what is right and what is wrong. I think that verse is much more meaningful today, especially that last part about uh, a sound mind, because the world has just gone absolutely bonkers. Am I the only one to believe that the world has gone bonkers? I mean, when the world, they're arguing over which gender they're going to decide to be, is that not the stupidest thing you have ever heard? Well, I decided I'm a woman today. You can think that, or, or worse, people saying, I'm a cat. I'm a goat. I'm, I identify as a goat. I identify as a dog. And there are people... Now, I'm not going to tell you which school or which county, because it's one that Faye and I live in, so I'm not going to mention the county... And, it, and it's certainly not the town we live in, but there's another town in that county. Supposedly in the middle school, the administration, they have some kids there, and it's because of peer pressure, it's because of they, this woke philosophy. They have kids there that are identifying as cats, and so they're starting to set out litter boxes so the kids can go to school, uh, go to the bathroom there. Folks, we're not talking about in St. Louis. I, nothing in St. Louis surprises me. Nothing out of San Francisco would surprise me. Nothing out of Los Angeles would surprise me. But in Owensville, oh, sorry. In Owensville, Missouri, at one of the schools, the administration are allowing the kids to identify as cats. Now, I got this from a school teacher. So if it comes back and says that's not happening, then I've got to go back and say something to this school teacher that says, no, it's happening. Matter of fact, I heard it yesterday because we attended uh, a, a meeting. There, 
in, in Owensville, they were wanting to start or have started a Christian school. So a bunch of the parents and a lot of the people were gathering there to talk about that, uh, a Christian school there. So that was one of the stories and one of the things that we're hearing. And so bonkers. The world has gone bonkers. I often think of the story of Alice in Wonderland. Remember the Mad Hatter? Remember how crazy he was? I think if he were out and about today, he would go, you people are crazy. You people are nuts based on what all is going on. To expose our kids to men who love to dress like women is the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. They can't reproduce, so they have to recruit. They want to influence these kids in their deviant behavior. But to show you how crazy it is, there are libraries, there are government systems set in place to encourage these perverts to influence kids. But do you know there is a national movement there's a national movement that would make it illegal for parents to take their kids to church until they're 13. Has anyone else heard about this? There is a movement. There are people who believe that, in, that it is wrong for parents to take their children to church because you are indoctrinating them, and at that age, they are not suited to make decisions for themselves. Well, duh. You talking about bonkers. You talking about the opposite of a sound mind. That's what you are facing today, church. You may say, that will never happen here. They will never stop parents from taking their children to church until they reach the age of 13. That'll never happen. Do you know if you had asked me just a few short years ago if the United States would have an assistant secretary of health by the name of Richard Levine, if you called him Richard, he wouldn't answer you, but if you called him Rachel, he would. Is the assistant secretary of health and the world applauds. If somebody said, do you know that here in a few years we're going to have an assistant secretary of health that is going to be appointed by the president and approved by the Senate to serve in such a high position, and he is a man, but he thinks he's a woman, he dresses like a woman, he behaves like a woman, I'd have said, that's not going to happen. But is it happening? Do you know the USA newspaper's Woman of the Year? Do you know who their Woman of the Year was last year? A man. This Richard Levine. Levine, Levin. I, I don't know what he's, I don't know how to pronounce it. Don't tell me the world hasn't gone bonkers. But we as believers 
We might complain about this. We might gripe about this. We certainly stand against this. And the world may go, oh, we need a new Bible because you Christians that believe yours, you, you need to be instructed properly because you're not expressing love the way it needs to be expressed. You're not accepting. No, I am not. No, I am not. But because I love them, I will tell them that there is a hell. There is judgment. And their lifestyle, their behavior, the direction they're going is taking them directly there. Oh, you're not very loving. Folks, i got to tell you, that is from a loving heart that we warn, that we try to make sure people understand. God's not given us the spirit of fear. Aren't you afraid of saying things like this over YouTube? No. No, I'm not. God's not given us the spirit of power. I'm... He's not given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And I'm going to exercise that sound mind to point out what's going on is absolutely crazy. It is crazy. Woe to those people who call right wrong and wrong right, who put light for darkness and darkness for light, who called evil good and good evil. Woe to those people. Woe to those people. And it is among us. So Paul is here encouraging this young pastor. And all that he writes to them here in this book indicates that Christ is the one who is worthy. The one who is worthy. That's who Christ is in the book of 2 Timothy. He is the one who is worthy. You were wondering if I was even going to get around to, to, to mentioning that. I, all of a sudden, I realized that He is the one who is worthy. He is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our service. He is worthy of us giving our lives for should we ever, been call, ever be called upon to do that? He is worthy. But I think if I ever preach this series again, I think 2 Timothy, I'm going to change that. Because he is all that. He is worthy. But 2 Timothy calls him the death abolisher. I like that. He is the death abolisher. Look at verse 8 of 1 Timothy 1. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be there partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, amen, but according to his own purpose and grace. Aren't you glad that you're part of the purpose of God? Aren't you glad that He has saved you and in the ages to come you're going to show forth the riches, the glories of His grace, that all eternity you're going to be a trophy of His grace, that all of creation is going to look at the church, the body of Christ, and they are going to glorify, it's going to praise God for the church, His body. 
That's, he saves you according to his own person, a purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, through his death, his burial, his resurrection. He is the death abolisher. That, that word abolish death there, the Greek word there means literally to make it useless. To make it, he has rendered it useless. He has rendered it powerless. That's what the resurrection of Christ has done. You know, we may go through a physical death. Then we may not. The rapture could take place before I'm finished. Wouldn't that be good? That would be good. But if I died, that is just a temporary event because he has abolished death, rendered it useless, powerless. He's the death abolisher. He's the one who provides immortality. I'm telling you, in this harsh and devious and treacherous world that we now live in. I'm glad that our Savior is gentle. I'm glad that our Savior is truthful. And I'm glad that our Savior is faithful. We need someone like that. And we have him. Absolutely. The book of 2 Timothy literally is a combat manual for us when it comes to the spiritual warfare that we are facing. It is a combat manual. All of the imperatives that are contained in 2 Timothy are very impressive. Now, an imperative is basically directions to do this or don't do this. See, we're no longer under the law, praise God. We're no longer under the law. The law can no longer, the law, the law no longer has jurisdiction under you or over you. We're not under the law. We're under grace. We praise God for that. But we, there are still imperatives that we are told to do. Here, Paul is talking to Timothy. All these imperatives he gives them, an imperative is to Timothy, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. He says that to us. Stir up the gift. Be a partaker of the afflictions. Hold fast sound words. Guard that precious deposit. Endure hardness. Study to show thyself approved unto God. I appreciate what Nathan had to say about the verse of the day. Flee youthful lust. Follow righteousness. And here's the thing about all that. All these things are only possible when you're focusing on the living Word of God. Those things are not possible to maintain or to do if you're not in the Word of God. And it amazes me how many Christians neglect the Word of God on a daily basis. You say, preacher, you quit preaching and went to meddling. Maybe so. 
But all those things, all those imperatives we're called to practice are only possible to maintain if we keep our nose in the book and we study. Second Timothy, uh, Second Timothy 2.1 He's told to be a good soldier. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that you have heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Folks, i got to tell you, that's exactly what our church endeavors, strives to do, is to be good soldiers, to endure hardness, but teach other men who can then teach other men who can teach other men we have ladies who share the gospel, the grace of God with other ladies teaching them to do what Titus, what Paul's letter to Titus told the older ladies, the elderly ladies to do when it came to teaching their family, their children. So important. Verse 3, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Drop down to 15, because I do want to get into uh, first, uh, 2 Timothy 3 before time runs out. But study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Folks, I can't tell you how absolutely important, imperative, necessary it is for you to understand that Scripture to study God's Word, to study God's Word in order to show yourself approved. He saved you. He's redeemed you. Heaven is your home. You're a child of God. You are a joint heir of Christ. Why would we ever think of neglecting the Word of God that's going to cause us to grow, that's going to draw us closer to Him? Study to show thyself approved. Yes, I am saved based on the complete and finished work of Christ. I stand perfect in Him. Heaven is my home. There is nothing anyone can do that can take that away from me. Not even me. I can't even do something that would disqualify me for being in Christ. And i got to tell you how much assurance that provides. But to study, to show thyself approved, you would think every believer, would that would be something that they would desire on a continual basis to delve into God's Word and to learn, thus saith the Lord, and how it applies to their life. I think it's interesting here in 2 Timothy, he says, Timothy, be a soldier. Later on, he says, you need to be a good farmer. Now he's talking about being a skilled craftsman, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, we're not going to spend much time on that verse today, but that verse really warrants a lot of time being spent on it. To rightly divide means to cut with precision. It does not simply mean handle correctly. Um, I know a lot of translations have it meaning just handle properly, handle correctly. 
I want you to handle the Word of God correctly, but the way you do that is you cut it with precision. You slice it with precision. You want to handle the Word of God properly, then you cut it. That Greek word, orthotomea, it means to cut with precision. You go, well, I do. Old Testament, New Testament, not. Where you divide God's Word is not between Old Testament, New Testament. That's a man-made division. Well, yeah, from Genesis to, to Malachi, that's the Old Testament. And then I can even show you my Bible where there's a big gap in other, other little study notes in there. And then the New Testament, from Matthew to Revelation, that's the New Testament. No. You want to rightly divide the Word of God, you study it from the perspective of a difference, a distinction between prophecy, that program that God that concerned Israel and God's prophetic program and purpose and plan for the nation of Israel. And you make the distinction between that and the church, the body of Christ, which you're a part of. You want to see every contradiction. You want to see every difficulty cleared up. You rightly divide the word of truth. A wordman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing, cutting it where it needs to be cut. And that is between understanding what the prophet said concerning God's purpose and program for Israel and how that came to a temporary end as God withdrew that kingdom promise and by grace he saved the chief of sinners and he revealed to him a special revelation concerning this present dispensation. That's where you divide it. And you understand that all the Scripture is for you. All the Scripture is for us to study. Matter of fact, I don't think you can understand rightly dividing. I don't think you can understand this present dispensation if you don't study the Old Testament. But what is to you is what was written by the apostle to the Gentiles, the apostle Paul. That's where you get your marching orders. That's where we get our marching orders. Yes, it's all for you. Well, and that's what second, he makes sure that, that Timothy understands that. Look at 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. All Scripture, that's all Scripture, Genesis through Revelation, I believe. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We approach the Scripture understanding that it's all profitable. And by that, it means you need to study. You need to search the Scriptures to see if these things be so. It's given to you for doctrine. That's, that's the teaching. That's the guidance that we need. If you ever go to a church, and I can tell now we're not going to have time to get into chapter 3. We're going to come back to it. But it kind of fits with Revelation next week. So we, it's important we understand. But if you ever go to a church that says, well, we don't encourage doctrine, skedaddle, skedaddle. Do not participate in that church. If you ever decide to go to a church that just really encourages 
fluff and practical life lessons, be scared. Be very scared. Because I guarantee you, your growth is not going to be what God would have you when it comes to that. For all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine. means you study it. For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And in order for you to speak reproof, we talked about this last week, in order for you, be, for you to be able to speak reproof and correction and instruction in righteousness, what does that mean you must have to do? Judge. If you're going to reprove someone, you're going to have to pass judgment on their actions. You know it? You're going to have to let them know that's not keeping with what God's Word says. As a fact, let me clear that up. Since we're not going to get into Revelation, uh, 2 Timothy 3 today, look, look at Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Because here in Pauline epistles, there are several places where we're told to reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering, with patience. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. You could probably quote this verse with your eyes closed, right? Judge not that you be not judged. I guarantee you the world might not be able to tell you where that's located, but boy, they can quote that verse. Judge not lest thou be judged. Well, that's a conflict with what Paul just says. Because if you're going to reprove someone, if you're going to rebuke someone, you're going to have to have had, you're going to have, have to have passed judgment, and you do it in love. You do it according to the Scripture, not what you think, but according to what God's Word says. But verse 2 says, For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. I'm okay with that. Because if I tell somebody, they're doing something wrong. You can't judge me. I, I can tell you what God's Word says. And so if there's that conviction that's boiling up inside you, then that's not me. That's the Holy Spirit. For with that judgment, you shall be judged. And then he goes and he talks about how, how uh, that, you well, uh, Look at verse 16. There's a great, great scriptural truth there. But look at, let's start with verse 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. And you shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? The answer to that is, uh-uh, no. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that brings not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. 
officer. You're not judging. You're just being a fruit inspector. And that's absolutely okay. As long as it's in love and with a desire to see them serving God. But reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Verse 3 of chapter 4 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall reap, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. We're there, folks. We are there. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Yes, Paul was writing to Timothy. He was writing to the church in Ephesus. But I cannot stress enough, he was writing to the saints here at St. Louis Bible Fellowship. He's faithful to do that. Chapter 3. I want us to pick back up there next week as we talk about some of the other things. Actually, this would be a great introduction. And it might take us three Sundays to get through the book of Revelation because there's so much to cover. But as you look at chapter 3, I believe it's describing the condition of a local church in the last days. When it says that men shall be lovers of their own selves and boasters and proud and blasphemers and without natural affection. And it, it, it sounds, it's written about those who have a form of godliness. They think they're spiritual. They think they're okay, but they are not. The world today thinks of itself as very spiritual. Unfortunately, the God they serve is humanity. It's themselves. How absolutely frightening, how absolutely disappointing they will be on Judgment Day. And I hope and pray this morning that there is not a single individual here that is trusting in their own works, their own deeds, their own goodness to get them into heaven, but they realize that they are a sinner, that they're on their way to hell, that they're condemned already, and the only way for them to be saved is through the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, that no man comes to the Father but by him, and that's believing that the Lord Jesus Christ died for their sins, was buried, and rose again and realize that I can't help him with that salvation, all I can do is by faith believe that what was accomplished on Calvary's cross was payment in full for the sin debt that I owed. And the reason there is power in that cross to save me is because up from the grave he arose. That who died on the cross was the sinless, spotless Lamb of God that death had no claim on, and he and he alone could pay that debt that I owed, and by faith I accept that free gift of salvation. That's 
simple. You say, well, that's too simple. Not at all, folks. Because the work was done by Christ. Ask him, do you think it was simple as they drove the nails in his hands? Do you think it was simple? Does he think it was simple when the crown of thorns was embedded in his brow? Not at all. It's not simple. But it is free. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for your word. Father, give us the courage. Give us the insight. Give us the wisdom from your word to take the stand in a world that has just gone bonkers, in a world that hates you, in a world that shakes its fist at you and denies you. Father, may God's people rise up and stand for the truth of your word. Father, may we be faithful. May we understand that you have not given us the spirit of fear, and so therefore we will not exercise that spirit of fear. But we will be courageous, we will be bold in our stand for you. And Father, I pray this morning, if there's anyone here who has not by faith believed in Christ Jesus and His finished work, that, Father, this will be the day that they become that new creation, not looking to themselves, not leaning upon themselves, not counting on their good works, but simply to the cross. They come and claim. By faith trusting the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Father, believing the good news of this present dispensation, believing the gospel of the grace of God. Now, Father, dismiss us. May you be glorified this week in our lives. May you be honored. And Father, we continue to pray all of these things in Christ's name. Again, lifting Joyce up, lifting Howard up, lifting this young brook up. Father, all of these people, we pray your healing touch upon. We pray your will be done. Others in our congregation who are sick, Father, we pray for them. Think of Jerry Lutz this, this morning. Father, we lift this dear brother up before you. Now, Father, dismiss us. Remind us as we pass through these doors that we are entering the mission field that we're walking into a hostile world. Father, may we faithfully proclaim the grace of God. And we pray all these things in that precious name, the name of Jesus Christ, who's Lord of all. Amen.